0: Well good morning everyone it's great to see you, lovely to have you here in our front room and uh, I know these are peculiar times but it's good to focus in on God's word see what he has to say to us and just enjoy some time together. Um, most of us, I'd say almost all of us, um, enjoy some kind of bread. Now, I've got some here as you'll see, um, this is some homemade bread that we, uh, we made or Cheryl made. Uh, a day or so ago and uh, as it's cooking uh, you know you just get that incredible smell don't you of of fresh bread and I I can imagine you now just sitting there on your sofas with your mouths beginning to water now it might be for you that what you what you really enjoy is is hot buttered toast or you're thinking of jam right now or something uh, connected to it but most of us nearly all of us love bread of some sort. Now bread is what we call a staple food because it's made from basic ingredients. It's been widely available since the beginning of agriculture and pretty much around the whole globe people enjoy bread. It's one of those surprising shortages that we've experienced isn't it during this uh, strange lockdown period that uh, that you can't buy flour it seems (laughs) that flour is just gone. And a little bit like in those early weeks when all the toilet rolls were gone, now it seems to be flour. Now, don't worry people, the UK is not running out of flour. This is the issue. The, uh, the mills that make the flour are mostly set up to make flour uh, commercially. And so when they come to bag them, the machines that, that mill the, the, the flour, they put them in these huge big bags. Um, and then relatively few mills, so I understand... Um, have the facility to bag them into the small bags that we would buy uh, to make bread and cakes and stuff at home and during this lockdown period we've been buying apparently twice as much flour as we usually buy so someone is making a lot of bread or a lot of cakes Uh, maybe that's you Um, and that's why there isn't any flour in the shops because we're buying twice as much as normal but we're not about to run out so a bit of consumer advice for you there we're okay for flour um, the next few weeks we're going to be looking at some of the I am statements of, of Jesus. Um, what did Jesus say about himself? Jesus in his own words, you might say. Um, and today we're looking at Jesus uh, saying, I am the bread of life. And you find that passage in John and chapter 6. So you might like to turn there if you've got your Bibles with you. Jesus declared, it says here, John 6 of verse 35, I am the bread of life whoever comes to me will never go hungry whoever believes in me will never be thirsty now those are quite famous words that's a famous verse it's a verse that many people would know it's the kind of verse you know that gets made into those those posters um, or those uh, those kind of stickers that come up on our computer screens from time to time but behind this, this statement of jesus there is a story there's quite a story actually Behind this um, this statement of Jesus, and it's worth looking into it because it helps us to understand the statement on its own. We really need to take Scripture always in its wider context if we're going to get a, a full understanding of what is going on. So often, and certainly it's true in the in our kind of social media age, we like to chop a little bit out and package it up nicely and put a nice background on it, and bam, there you go. And I'll do it myself, so I'm not really blaming anyone for that. But the shortest body of communication in the bible is really a paragraph you really shouldn't be looking at anything smaller than a paragraph in one go if you're to understand the wider context and meaning and that's certainly true for this verse so this simple well-known verse has a a backstory there are other stories that go with it and we want to be looking at those if we're going to understand what jesus was really saying now two remarkable things happen before Jesus said these words and uh, as I said they happen in order that when Jesus were to say these words as it as it leads up to this moment of him making this declaration about who he was the hearers and those hearers were the disciples but also the crowds around the sea of Galilee those crowds would get a better grasp of what he meant Um, there wasn't going to be a great deal of time for some of them to get a follow-up they weren't going to all be there Around the fire at night, asking him questions like the disciples were. So, Jesus wants to grab their attention, um, e- explain as clearly as he can, in as succinct a way as he can, what he is about. And that's why he does these two uh, miracles, or signs, as John calls them. Um, so, both of these two events that we're going to talk about before we get to Jesus' statement, I am the bread of life, are what John calls signs. He said, These are signs. Um, now Paul talks about signs in 1 Corinthians, he says, he says, oh he said the Greeks, and he's talking about a whole culture here, the Greeks, what they're after is they're after wisdom, and what he means by that is, if the Greeks are going to be convinced of something, they want a good argument, that's what they're looking for, they're looking for a well reasoned argument, and if you can do that for the Greeks, then you've got a chance at communicating with them. And he also says, he said, look, Greeks, they want a sign, but Jews, Jew, uh, Greeks rather want wisdom, Jews, they want a sign. Jews are all about the signs. And if you understand something of the Jewish history, it was full of these kind of signs all, all through their history, the Old Testament, story after story with profound happenings, uh, miracles of provision and waters parting and all kinds of things. These were signs that God was with them. And so Jews culturally are looking for a sign. And so as Jesus does the things he's about to do. These are signs to the people he's communicating with that what he's going to say carries more weight uh, than just someone random getting up and saying things about themselves. And the first of these signs is a very familiar story for all of us. It's Jesus feeding the crowds or sometimes we call it Jesus feeds the 5,000. And we read this in John Uh, chapter 6 and verse 5 to 9 so let me read those few verses to you because I think I think we'll understand I think most of us would have heard of this story uh, some of us of course many many times so let me read it to you when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him he said to Philip where shall we buy bread for these people to eat he asked only to test him for he already knew uh, what he was going to do Philip answered, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy even enough for each of these to have a bite. Another of the disciples, Andrew, always the sensible one, Simon Peter's brother spoke up. There's a boy with small barley loaves, five small barley loaves and two small fish. Um, uh, how far will they go amongst so many? So what's happening here is that is that Jesus is actually looking for a place to rest. He's been traveling and preaching and doing miracles and healing people and they, they're, they're looking for a place to unwind a little bit um so they head up into the hills and actually the crowds follow him and it the, the kind of the language here is almost like they pursued him um and and it's almost as if well actually he was looking for a place to rest but they caught up with him and of course gracious as he always is he chooses to minister to them rather than dismissed them so it says a great crowd followed him and so it's clear to disciples and anyone who's watching these people are going to get hungry there's no food and there's no prospect of getting any food even for them to have a bite of bread says philip how's it going to how's this going to work and all that can be found of course is five loaves and two fish uh, so we read and understand and many stories of it have been told since and so what jesus does is he Praise as he distributes this modest meal and as he distributes it it multiplies and after everyone has fed uh, there are 12 baskets of leftovers and bear in mind the text tells us that there were 5,000 men uh, which probably means there were 10, 15, maybe even 20,000 people gathering around Jesus and all eating this food. Now you ask the West Point caterers what it's like to feed that many people. It is a mammoth task to feed so many people. Absolute mammoth administrative nightmare. And Jesus does it with five loaves and two fish. Now, what's the response of the people? Well, the response of the people is this. Surely this man is a prophet. And we have to ask ourselves, why would they say that? Are prophets good caterers? Is that kind of part of the deal? Um, Well, Again, we need to look at who these people were and and something of their own history to understand why they would say that. You see, for a first century Jew, uh, when they start thinking about prophets and signs and miracles, their minds go to two of the great prophets of the Jewish nation, Moses and Elijah. And of course Moses was the one who helped the Hebrew nation escape from Egypt. Uh, they got away from pharaoh and they fled and they were in the desert and of course then the wanderings through the desert led them to the promised land to canaan uh, where they would finally find a home Um, but moses had a similar problem to the one that jesus faced on this day moses is in a desert there's no crops and there are no shops and he has maybe a million people and they are on a long journey how do you feed all these people and what happened Uh, is a miracle Um, a miracle happened every day uh, with this strange phenomena called manna and manna would uh, would appear each morning so as the morning dew would evaporate off as it it would in this hot country what was left behind were flakes of something that could be gathered together I think it says it tasted a bit like coriander Um, and they could gather this together and it would feed them and it would be their kind of staple a bit like the bread that we've been talking about Um, now there were rules around. This uh, this manna and the rules were that you could only gather manna for that one day, uh, and you weren't allowed to keep any. You had to trust God for the following day. That was that was the deal. You, you had to. There was faith in this, uh, as well as provision, um, except for one day. So, the day before the day of rest, before Sabbath, you could gather twice as much because there was going to be no manna on the Sabbath because it was day of rest. So you couldn't even go gather manna. There wouldn't be any. Now it says as we read that story that both of those kind of rules were broken from time to time that people did try and gather more than they needed on any given day and and the next morning they woke up thinking oh we've got some provision ready for today they find it was all eaten by maggots and of course some of them would forget to gather the day before passover and find on the passover morning ah there's no manna um but nonetheless those that's part of that story but um the real the real connection here is moses gave this sign through God's power of course and that sign was a provision of food for the people they desperately needed it and now here's Jesus doing a similar thing he's providing food for thousands of people on a hillside uh, when they're desperately hungry now impressive as that is the people it seems (laughs) um, were quite excited about just getting some food as you might imagine, that, that was the story. There was many thousands of them and suddenly out of nowhere comes a, an incredible amount of food and, and they're very excited about this. And we read what Jesus' response was uh, a few verses later in verse 26 of John 6. I'll just read it to you quickly. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I'd performed but because you ate loaves and had your fill. Don't work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So what, what Jesus is saying here is, that he said, look, you've you've all come to find me. You've all followed me further, as of course they do later in the in the story, not because of, of, of some kind of miracle I've done, not because of who I am, but because you got full, you, you got stomachs full. And they're kind of saying, oh, this, this is a good deal. We'll follow this prophet because we get free food. Um, and it's often the case God is God is working at one level and the people and uh, you know we often we're, we're functioning at another much less satisfying level C.S. Lewis puts it really nicely he says this we're far too easily pleased and here is the exact example of that the people are like yay free food and Jesus is like I'm trying to give you the the, the words of eternal life I'm trying to save your souls they're excited about some fish and some bread. There's a lesson for us in that. There are big lessons in that for us in that. Let's look beyond the immediate. God is at work. He's at work right now. He's at work in your life and in my life. He's doing things uh, for his glory, for his coming kingdom uh, that we get to be part of. Now let's not get caught up in, in, the, in the immediate in the peripheral. I think an example of how we how this can happen, a great example is um, it, it can be social media. And and social media seems to increasingly say, you know, put forward your best post, your your best post. And in that post, it looks on the surface like everything is great about someone's life, they look wealthy, they're beautiful or handsome, they they seem to be surrounded by friends, the sun's always shining, it's always always by a lake or on a yacht or something, everything seems brilliant. Of course we know because we know uh, from behind the camera that none of that is really true or very little of it is true, but what is true is this, outside the front door there's a beautiful world waiting, there's a wonderful world of experiences uh, and, and wonders to enjoy rather than trying to create this thin veneer of perfection and i think and i, I recognize the irony by the way of saying that right now um, but that is that is the case i mean jesus is saying look you're, you're too easily pleased you're here because i fill your stomachs with food but i want to give you bread that will last you for eternity that will be life forever uh, that so he's so he's uh, he, he's pushing them to a deeper and greater meaning which of course he's always doing so they were excited about their stomachs when god was walking amongst them which brings us nicely to the second sign that jesus did in the run-up to this statement i am the bread of life jesus walked across the lake (laughs) so if if providing food for maybe twenty thousand people wasn't impressive enough he then walks across the lake um now i always thought you know i've been thinking lately walking on water would be a great uh, way to social distance in fact there's a lot of space out there on the water if we could just wander off, find our own little corner, um, that would be good. Of course, we can't do that, uh, but Jesus could. The disciples, after the event of the, the feeding of these, of this crowd, decide they're gonna go with Jesus across uh, Galilee. And so they headed out into their boat, which again was an everyday occurrence. Not many of them were fishermen, they knew about the lake, they knew about boats, they knew uh, how all this went. Um, but as often seems to be the case with them, uh, and it seems to be true of Lake Galilee, as they head out onto the lake, suddenly uh, things turn for the worse, the weather pulls in, and suddenly it's a storm, it's going to rain, It's going the wind's going to blow, it's going to get dodgy, and as this happens to them, they look out from the boat, uh, nervous as they are, and Jesus is coming to them, walking on the water, and again we see reflection of Moses here in fact they're going beyond of Moses because what did Moses do as the Israelites were the Hebrews were coming out of Egypt the waters parted in front of him Uh, the Red Sea parted and they got out free and they closed back in over the Egyptian uh, warriors as they chased after them and they were delivered now Jesus goes way beyond Moses because they Moses parted the water and, and miracle as it was the people passed through now Jesus is walking on the water. Um, defying the storm, defying the laws of nature themselves and comes to them walking on the water. And what Jesus says to them is also fascinating at this moment. So Jesus walks to all them, which is amazing enough, uh, and he speaks to them using the term that God used when God spoke to Moses. He says, I am, don't be afraid. Or He says, it is I, the, the, the text says, but actually it's the same phrase I am and that was the phrase that God used to describe himself God says I am that I am there is no other descriptor there's nothing no other reference just I am that I am and Jesus says I am don't be afraid of course when Moses approached the burning bush he was told to take his shoes off there was reason to fear he was an unholy and unredeemed person in the presence of the living God And that was a fearful thing. But Jesus suddenly is among them. This is why the new covenant is so much better. Because Jesus, God himself, is with them. He's saying, don't be afraid. I am is here now with you. And so Jesus, again, references back to their history. It's a sign that Jesus is going beyond their prophets, beyond Moses. Jesus says, I am is with you. And he says, don't be afraid. And then after these two signs have happened after this miracle of the food and the miracle of walking on the water then jesus says this to the disciples and to the people and let's read it together again john 6 35 then jesus declared i am the bread of life using that same term again i am the bread of life whoever comes to me will never go hungry whoever believes in me will never be thirsty but as i told you you have seen me and still you do not believe all those the Father gives me will c- will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. You see, he's saying there's an eternal food here for you. This this food I gave you, this bread I gave you, it filled your stomachs for a few hours. But I am here that you would know a satisfaction that is eternal. And that is an astonishing promise that Jesus is making. He says, I'm the bread of life. And, and he, he uses bread because as we said, it's common, it's a staple food. We all know what it's like to get full of bread and that's in many ways a good thing it certainly would be if you were particularly hungry but he's saying, look it's, there, there's more to it than that that's a metaphor here's the real thing and it's me and so the signs of food and water are really about who Jesus is and what he's come to do to feed uh, our spiritual food which ultimately doesn't just quell our human appetites of uh, that our stomachs are full But our deepest hunger, our deepest longings, are satisfied in Jesus. Now, eating is a huge sign that we need outside help. Have you noticed that missing a meal for some is just a—it's a disaster. You could get miserable and down and grumpy. Um, I just can't survive for very long without food. I need nourishment. We need it. We have to eat, Um, and we need it often. But Jesus is saying, look, I'm I'm not a baked loaf, however satisfying that is. I am the bread of life, and you need me like you need the food to fill your stomachs, only in a far deeper and wider way. And so he tells them also how to eat. He says this, they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And that's in verse 28. And Jesus said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So to receive this bread of life, to receive this satisfying, eternal bread, that is Jesus, we need to believe. It's like the eating of this metaphor. Believe. We have our our slogan as a church, don't we? Helping Bristol believe. And we read it here. This is the work that God requires, that we would believe in Jesus. Now, just as we teach our children to eat and to eat what's good, um, Jesus is, is helping us on the journey of belief and when a child eats uh, as they're learning to eat <laughs> you know it doesn't go very well early on if you're a parent you know that uh, but you don't just give up because the first few tries don't work very well and they just get it just get caked around their face and they're not and they miss their mouth and they forget to close it and it just all dribbles out and the bibs full and well you know how it goes and it's you know embedded in the carpet after a little while but you keep going why because you know it's good for them and so sometimes us stumbling towards belief, disciples said it didn't they, disciples said yes we believe, we do believe, we're beginning to eat, help our unbelief. And they're just really describing what it means to learn how to believe. Um, and so we need to learn too, and, and that's fine. And some of us are, 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 are further down the journey than others, uh, are further on this kind of adventure of learning to believe. And sometimes we realize, wow, I've, I've forgotten how to do it altogether." Uh, but god is with us in it and actually god gives us the power of his holy spirit to help us to believe help us to eat jesus as it were to, to take on board who he is his very presence and uh, and, and and the purpose of of how why he came of course communion is a very graphic example and a reminder of this truth and so we eat bread and we drink wine that in one sense is is normal and mundane And yet, in the words of Jesus, he says, No, this is so much more. This symbolizes something of such great value. Take myself into yourself. Take myself upon yourself. I'll become part of you. You become part of me. We become part of the same family. He invites us in, He invites us to be part of who He is. It's an incredible honor. It's what love is to say I want you to be part of who I am and Jesus does that and of course that's why we that's why we take communion that's why it's bread and wine it's this simple staple food that is elevated in the words of Jesus to mean something so much greater that the needs the deep longing and hungering of your heart can be fully satisfied and that this bread doesn't just get you to the next meal this bread takes you into glory it takes you into the very presence of God himself It's a wonder. It's Yes, it's a metaphor we need to to grapple with personally. And I, I ask you to do that even this week. Think about the bread. Think about the wine. Think about the words that Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. If you come to me, you'll never be hungry. Not that our stomachs will be full, but our hearts will be satisfied forever. Let's just finish before we take communion together by reading... The last few verses we're going to cover today in verse 53. Jesus then really explains what he means. Then Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat my flesh or the flesh of the Son of Man and drink this blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, my blood is real drink. This is the real one, this is the real thing, not the metaphor, the real thing coming to know Jesus, believing in him. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living father sent me and I live because of the father, so the one who feeds me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whatever feeds on this bread will live forever. God is promising us not just longevity of life, but quality of life, of knowing Him, of having uh, the deepest needs, the longings of our human heart and nature met in, he, uh, in, in Himself. And so we're going to take communion now. We're going to do this very thing. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. He said, eat of me, drink of my blood, be part of me, believe in me. And so as we do that, um, I invite you just to, if you've got bread with you, just to do that now. I'm going to do this. It's good to see sometimes a whole loaf broken this is a fairly substantial loaf it's good to see the breaking of it because it reminds us that jesus uh, in order to communicate this faith to us to to be uh, to draw us into his presence he had to be broken his body was broken and it's good to see that because it was a it it was a real thing and, and as we break bread it reminds us of that real activity of jesus his body was broken and so we take We take bread and we eat it and we say, Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that I get to be part of you, that you miraculously, wonderfully, by faith, are part of me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And even in the action of eating, we remind ourselves of the, the fact Jesus is not just a spiritual being. He's a man. It's a real thing, like eating and drinking. It's real, tangible, in your front room right now, he's with you. And of course, we don't just eat bread, do we? We drink wine as well. We're reminded that the life of Jesus was poured out for us. And so we drink that wine saying, I, I need this forgiveness, this forgiveness, I need it. I need to be forgiven for my sins. And Lord Jesus, I just pray right now, forgive me. Forgive me for my sins, Lord Jesus. I thank you that you have. But Lord Jesus, I, I know, Lord, I, I, I fail. And yet I thank you that you never do. And so as I drink this, I'm reminded of what you've done, of what you've achieved, of the love that you've shown me. I thank you, Lord Jesus. So Jesus said, if you eat of me and you drink of me, you will never be hungry and you'll never be thirsty. It's a wonderful wonderful truth.